Okay, well, like Steve said, thank you so much for letting us be part of your Father's Day plans. And so happy Father's Day, whether you're in the room with us here, or like Steve mentioned, if you're uh, catching us on live stream, we're super glad that you're able to be with us too. So thanks for doing that. And uh, there's nothing that says happy Father's Day, like a PG-13 rated sermon on sex. So there you go. Happy Father's Day to you. And uh, I promise you, we didn't uh, arrange it this way. It just so happened that we were talking about this on this day. And so that's uh, not intentional or anything. But we are uh, on week three in a series that we've been in. It's called Broken Religion. And so if you're someone who's newer to the conversation, or if you're newer to Grace, uh, welcome. And so here's what we've been talking about so far uh, for the past couple of weeks. What we've been saying is, so for many, many people in our culture today, when we think about the idea of religion, Uh, There's a concept that a lot of us have. There's a preconceived notion that many of us have as it relates to that that topic. And so for a lot of us, we tend to think of a set of beliefs or we tend to think of a set of rules or behaviors that a person lives by or lives according to in order to be in a right relationship with God. So we said a lot of us kind of think about religion that way, that religion is a set of beliefs, it's a set of rules and behaviors that a person enacts in their life to uh, basically to be made right with God. And here's what we said. So for a lot of people, uh, we understand Jesus, that Jesus was someone who came as a religious teacher, that Jesus was someone who appeared to propagate really another religious system among many other religious systems. There's a lot of people today who would look and say Christianity is really just one religion among other religions. But here's what we've been talking about in this series. We said when you actually look at what Jesus taught, like when you actually look at it, and you look at it carefully. Uh, what, you said, what we said is, Jesus, in so many ways, is not just simply propagating another religion. We said Jesus, in so many ways, is blowing apart all of our preconceived notions about what it means to be religious altogether. And so uh, what we've been look, doing is we've been looking at Jesus' teachings very carefully, and we've been saying that Jesus looks at religion so far beyond just behavior modification. He digs down so much deeper, and he talks about issues that go all the way down into the human heart. And so the place that we've been looking in, at in the Bible as we've been going through this series is actually right here in Matthew chapter five. And I would love to just encourage you right now, if you just wanna grab your Bibles and meet me there, and we're gonna get back to what we've been looking at uh, in, the, in the series so far in Matthew chapter five. And so I'd love it if you had your Bible in front of you. And if all of us had our Bibles in front of us and we were looking at this together, so Matthew five, if you did not bring a Bible with you today, uh, the Bible's under the chairs, page 786 is where you're gonna find Matthew chapter five. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take one of those. You can make that a gift from us to you, and we'd love for you to have a Bible, so Matthew 5. Now, the reason we're looking at this passage is we said that this passage contains within it Jesus' most famous message, his most famous teaching that he ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And we said, when you look at the section that we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about this issue of religion And like we said, he's beginning to blow apart. He's beginning to shatter many of the preconceived notions that we have as it relates to religion. And he speaks very specifically about six very practical kind of real life examples. And so the things that Jesus talks about is he talks about anger. And so we we, we talked about Jesus's anger about teaching. Then Jesus talks about sexuality. He talks about issues of sex and lust and adultery. He talks about marriage He talks about remarriage and divorce. Then he talks about words. He talks about fighting and he talks about enemies. And we said, this is not just an outline of what Jesus is talking about. We said, this also provides for us a roadmap of what we're talking about throughout this series. So last week, if you were here, you might remember, we spent the whole time talking about Jesus's teaching on anger. 
And we said uh, that there is a religious teaching around this, this concept of anger. We said Jesus goes beyond that, and we really looked at what Jesus says on that topic. If you missed that, by the way, you can always go back and check that out on our website, our podcast, or app. This week, as we continue on, we're going to talk about Jesus' teaching on sex. And so actually, we're going to talk about it this week, but we're going to talk about it for the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to explain why that is here in just a minute. But today, we're going to start thinking about and start looking at what does Jesus teach? What is his actual teaching on the topic of human sexuality? And that's what we're going to start diving into. So let's just go ahead and jump in and look carefully at what Jesus said. Okay, so we're going to start off in verse 27. So let's take a look. Here's what Jesus is going to say. Jesus says to his audience, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, so pause real quick. So Jesus is talking to a group of first century Jewish people, mixed audience, a crowd that he would have been speaking to. And what he's referring to here when he says you heard that it was said is he's talking about um, the most commonly accepted religious teaching of the Jewish people of that time, which I think all of us would know is the Old Testament. And so Jesus here quotes directly from the Old Testament when he says you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. This is a direct quotation from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Many of you, maybe even if you're not a Bible person, you know that this is one of the Ten Commandments. This is actually number seven on the list. And so Jesus says, you guys have heard that it was said, you've been taught that you shouldn't commit adultery. And of course, Jesus is gonna say, that's a good thing. That's a good thing to not commit adultery. But he's gonna go further. And here's what Jesus says in his teaching in verse 28. He says, but I tell you, but I tell you, that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's what Jesus says. All right, now, what Jesus says here is, is actually very, very famous. My guess is uh, there's probably few of us in this room who are not familiar with this, even if you're not a Bible person. But Jesus' words undoubtedly are extreme. What he says here are extreme, for sure. Now, before we start picking apart what Jesus means when he says this, I actually wanna start by pointing out something that I think is oftentimes missed. It's easy to miss, but I think it is so crucially important to understand everything that Jesus teaches on the topic of sex. I want you to notice something here that, again, it's it's super easy to miss this. I want you to notice that Jesus ties together the idea of lust, sexual lust, with adultery. He ties those two thoughts together. More specifically, I want you to notice what Jesus says. He says, anyone, anyone, any person, who looks at any woman, a woman, any woman lustfully, has committed, and then he says, adultery, adultery. Now, now here's why that's really fascinating, and I I wanna show this to you. It's because I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, I tell you that any married man who looks at another man's wife with lust has committed adultery. In other words, Jesus is telling us that this commandment that we shouldn't commit adultery is not simply a commandment that is for married people. That the heart of this commandment, the heart of do not commit adultery, is actually revealing something that exists inside of every human heart. That this is not just for married people, this is for all people, whether you're single or you're married or whatever that might be. And I think part of what this reveals to us, and I think this is very, very, very important, is that for Jesus, sexuality is always, always, always connected to marriage, always. In fact, let's tell you something I think is really interesting. Did you know every single time Jesus teaches on the topic of sex in any way, whether he's talking about lust or he's talking about adultery or he's talking about sex, just in general, human sexuality, did you know every, every, every single time in the context of sexuality, Jesus talks about marriage? 
And I think what that reveals to us is that Jesus had a very, very different understanding of human sexuality than our culture does. See, we live in a culture where these things are all viewed as separate. So sex is one topic, right? It's a whole other topic. Marriage is another topic. And then you have adultery, which is an entirely different topic, and these are all separate. For Jesus, they were never separated. They were all integrated into each other. And so because Jesus' vision of human sexuality is so radically different than our understanding of human sexuality in our culture, because of that, that's why I actually want to spend a couple weeks on this. So this week, what I want to do is I simply want to talk about what Jesus talks about right here, and I want to take, spend this whole week talking about lust. Okay, so this week, we're going to talk about lust. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then next week, okay, next week when you come back, I want to talk about Jesus' vision for human sexuality, all right? So I wanna talk about what is Jesus's vision for healthy human sexuality? And that's not explicitly talked about in this passage, but I believe it is deeply implied. There's so much that's underneath the surface of this that I wanna talk about. And so that is a topic that without a doubt speaks directly to many issues that we are facing as a society. And then the week after that, we're actually gonna talk about divorce and remarriage because Jesus talks about those, but I think it's impossible for us to talk about those topics without understanding Jesus's vision for marriage and for sexuality. Okay, so that's what we're gonna do. So all that to say, for the next three weeks, pray for me, all right? Pray for me, pray, and I, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm really not. Pray for me on these things because I think it's really clear these are some, these are some touchy topics. <laughs> Probably wasn't the best choice of words. These are some <laughs> personal topics. There's so, there's so many landmines in a conversation like this. Um, but I think we all know that these are, these are very controversial topics. And I know that, uh, that for some of us, that some of the things that Jesus is going to say are going to impact us in different ways. Some of us might, may even be offended by some of the things that Jesus is. But I want you to understand that I actually think that that's okay. I think it's important that we, walk, we talk about things that are controversial. I think it's important that we even are willing sometimes to allow what Jesus says offend us uh, because I believe that it's in those moments that there's the greatest opportunity for transformation and life change to happen, all right? So like I said, this week, we're gonna be talking about lust. So what is all that about? Okay, well, look again what Jesus says. As I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, all right? That's what he says. Now, I think when we read this, um, I have found that there tends to be two immediate temptations of the way that people respond to this. Okay, the first one is this. Some people, when they read this, just immediately dismiss Jesus, just immediately dismiss what he says as being unrealistic. We think this is absolutely just completely out of touch with reality. What Jesus says is so extreme. What he says is so crazy that we shouldn't even take it seriously. We just write it off altogether. The other extreme that I found is that some people read this and they just immediately spin off into a sense of guilt and shame and feel dirty about sexuality altogether. Seems to be one of those two responses. Instead of recognizing that Jesus' teaching is actually brilliant and that he comes with incredible authority when he teaches in these things. I want you to notice, just if you look at this carefully, what Jesus is saying. So Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her. Now, where has he committed adultery according to Jesus? Where has he committed it? In his heart. He says he's committed adultery in his heart. Now, I think, I think if you were with us last week, you're probably starting to recognize that in Jesus' teaching on religion, that there is a theme, there's a consistent theme. Last week, Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago that you shall not murder. He said, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart towards another person, 
if, if there is indifference or bitterness or resentment or insult directed to another person, he says, then you're in violation of this commandment, right? And now Jesus says, you've heard that it said don't commit adultery. And he says, but I tell you, there's something deeper that's happening in the heart. And what is Jesus getting at here? Well, again, I think this is brilliant. This is an incredible commentary on, on human nature. What Jesus is saying is this. If we simply interact with religion on the behavioral level, if for us, religion is nothing more than behavior modification, if that's what it is, I think Jesus is saying, then you're not actually dealing with the root issue. Like what Jesus is saying is, if for you, religion is just a checklist of behavior modification, he says, then you are liable to simply mowing weeds, to every time I mow my lawn, this is what I do, right? My, my yard has weeds in it. I see it and I say, oh, that doesn't look good. So I get out the lawnmower, I mow the weeds, and it looks nice for about two days until they all grow back again. And any of you who actually take good care of your lawn, you know that if you want to deal with the weeds, you have to deal with them under the surface. You have to get to the root issue. You have to go underneath. And see, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying a lot of times we deal with religion and it's all behavior. It's behavior modification. He says, but you got to go deeper. You got to get to the root of the issue. And here in this passage, what he says the root of the issue is, is he says, it's this idea of lust. That lust is at the root of what's behind us. Now, this is where I think it's really important that we take some time to define what exactly is lust. So just to be clear, what does Jesus mean when he talks about lust? So I want to introduce you to a word. This is the Greek word that Jesus uses here. I think it's a really powerful word. It's the word epithumeo. That's it. So I want to teach you a new word. So why don't you turn to someone next to you and with uh, suggestive eyes, because of the topic, I want you to say epithumeo. All right, go ahead and do that. And uh, so that was very inappropriately awkward for everybody in the room. And especially if you're sitting next to your mom, that's probably real awkward for you. So, so epithumeo. What is epithumeo? Okay, well, that's the word that Jesus uses for lust. And here's the definition. Epithumeo means to long after. Very often in the New Testament, it's translated covet. It means to overly desire something for the purpose of satisfying one's appetites or passions. That's the idea. And I think understanding the word that Jesus used here helps us understand not only what lust is, but also what lust is not. So let me just see if I can make it super clear. For our purposes today, after studying this passage, let me tell you what I am convinced lust is not. Okay, so what is lust not? Well, lust, first off, lust is not simply recognizing someone as attractive. It's not what this is. Okay, lust is not the initial look. It's not the initial glance. It's not the initial recognition that there is a person who is attractive or is physically attractive or is even sexually attractive. That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is not, lust, lust is not a denial that someone is an attractive person. It's not a denial that someone is a beautiful person. There are beautiful people. So for example, if you were to look up here right now, <laughs> why is that funny? And if you were to deny the beauty, you'd be breaking another commandment is what you'd be doing. So just, it's not that, okay? It's just, it's not that. So what is it not? It's also, I think this is really important. Lust is not the feeling of sexual desire. I think this is really important to clarify, okay? So, so the Bible's gonna tell us, the Bible's gonna tell us that sexual desire is part of what it means to be human, and it's actually a good thing that God has created in us. We all have sexual desire, and that is not in and of itself a bad thing. 
Jesus is not talking about sexual desire. A lot of times uh, people think about Christians, what they think about Christians, what they think about the Bible, is they think that the Bible is anti-sex, that the Bible has a negative view on sex, that Jesus teaches a negative view on sexuality. And I'm just telling you, that's not true at all. That's not true. I'll tell you something I think is really interesting. The Greek word that's used for, for lust, which we just talked about there a minute ago, I think this is really interesting. Jesus could have used, in the Greek language, there are a number of really great words he could have used if he was talking about sexual desire. The Greek language has a lot of words that he could use for that. He uses none of them. The word he chooses to use is this one, this word, epithumeo. And here's what I think is so interesting. Of the 62 times that this word is used in the New Testament, according to my count, the 62 t- two times this word is used, only twice is it referring to sexuality. What's it referred to in the other occasions? It refers to coveting. It refers to a lot of other things. In fact, this is kind of interesting. This Greek word right here is also used in Plato's writings. Some of you might know this. Plato wrote around the same time as the New Testament, a little bit before the New Testament, but around the same time. And did you know that in Plato's writings, the way he uses this word, he uses it to refer to gluttony, he uses it to refer to drunkenness, and he uses it to refer to, uh, to obsessive gambling. That's what he uses it for. Now, what is that telling us? I think that actually helps clarify something. Because think about it for a minute. What is, uh, what is gluttony? Well, gluttony is not just eating, right? We all eat. We all have an appetite to eat. Gluttony is an overindulgence in eating. It's an abuse of food. Right? What, is, what is drunkenness? Drunkenness is not having a drink. Drunkenness is an abuse of the drink. It's taking it further. And I think that actually helps us understand a little bit of what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about this idea of lust. And so I think, I think you gotta understand this, just to be very, very clear. And we're gonna talk about this more next week. The Bible's attitude towards sex is, it is just this barefaced, exuberant delight in what God has created in human sexuality. So just to be clear, the Bible is very pro-sex. Talk about next week. And I, I just got to say this for the record, here at Grace Church, we are also very pro-sex. There is a reason that we are adding to our Power Kids section over here, and it's because of that. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. So the problem is not sexual desire. The problem is not simply recognizing someone that is attractive. What is the issue? Jesus says the issue is lust. So just to be even more clear, if I was to give you a working definition of what is biblical lust, after everything I've studied and after all the passages I looked at, I would define it this way. If I was to take a stab at it, I would say lust, according to the Bible, is misused sexual desire. It's misdirected sexual desire. It's abused sexual desire that dishonors and objectifies others, and it disregards God. I think, I think if you were to look at the Bible and what it teaches about lust, this would be a good working definition of what the Bible talks about when it talks about lust. I love the way one commentator put it. His name is Dale Allison. He said it this way. He said, Jesus is talking not about feelings, not just about sexual impulse, but he's talking about intentions. And so the sin he condemns lies not in the entrance of the desire, but in what one does with that desire. It's what you do with the desire. Or maybe to put it in a more witty way, Martin Luther, who, uh, of course, is a great reformer, I like the way he put it, he said it this way. He said about this passage, he said, we should not, take, we should not, uh, we should not make the bolster of Jesus' teachings too taut here, as if anyone who is merely tempted to look at another with lust is eternally damned. And then he says this, I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head, but I can certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. And so... 
You get it, right? You get what he's saying. Like you, can't, you can't help the, the, the sexual impulses that might come, but what you do with them and how you allow them to impact you. I'll tell you, I thought this quote, I actually read this earlier this week and I thought it was kind of weird until, I thought this was so nuts. Later on that week, I went mountain biking with a group of friends and as I was biking, this is so crazy to me, as I was biking, I went through this one segment of the trail and there was this bird and my friend told me later, I guess some of you might know this, the bird was a Baltimore Oriole. I don't know if you know what that is, but apparently they're very protective and they're mean. And so I was riding my bike through this part, and I don't know if there was a nest or something, and this thing got real like defensive, but it started to dive bomb me, and it was squawking in my ear, and it was pecking my helmet like over and over again. And, I, I, and it's so crazy, because I literally just read this quote, and I thought, this is a sign from God to all of you. <laughs> God's telling us to stay away from lust. So that's, that's it. But no, what, but here's the point. When Jesus says, I tell you that when anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. When he says this, what he's talking about, he's not talking about sexual impulse. He's not talking about the recognition that someone is attractive. I think here's what he's talking about. We, we all know how this works. He's talking about the decision you have in front of you after you recognize that person is attractive or after you feel that sexual impulse. That's what he's talking about. We all know how this works. It's the decision not just to look, but to take the second look. And the one that you know has certain intentions behind it. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about the decision to break eye contact with that person and at an opportune time, check out certain other aspects of that person because you're trying to fuel or you're trying to feed something within you. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that extended pause when you're scrolling through your news feed or when you're scrolling through your social media and an image pops. It's not the recognition of the image, it's the pause and the deliberate look because you're looking with intention. And what is the intention? Well, the intention is to, is to utilize that to feed or to fuel your sexual imagination or your romantic thought life. That's what he's talking about here. I think we all know how this, how this works, what Jesus is talking about, right? Now, I know, I know that even when I talk about this and, when, and for some of us, when we look at what Jesus says here, I know for some of us, your, your first thought is this. You might be thinking to yourself, I know what you're talking about. I hear what Jesus is saying. But quite honestly, man, like, what's the big deal? Like, come on, why is this such a big deal? If no one knows about it, if no one's getting hurt, if no one's acting on anything, it's just a private matter within my own mind and my own heart, then why is this even a big deal? Why is this even a big deal? And can I tell you why I think that to Jesus, this is, just, this is just a really big deal. Why I think he's going after this so hard. I think the reason, again, notice what he says. He says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery. And again, here's what he says. It's in your heart. I think what Jesus is saying is that this decision that you're making with your eyes, this decision that you're making with your imagination, it's, it's a big deal because it's revealing something. It's revealing a narrative that is being exposed within your heart. That's what it is. And what's happening in your heart when you lust? I just want you to think about this with me for a minute. What's actually happening in your heart when you're lusting towards another person? And here's what I think is happening. I think that it's reinforcing a narrative of what you believe about other people and what they were created for. And that's what it's doing. Because when you're lusting after someone, what lust does is lust basically says the reason that you exist is to bring me pleasure and is to bring me gratification and is to satisfy some kind of desire that I have within me. That's why you're here. 
The reason that you're shaped the way that you're shaped is so that you can stimulate or is that you can be fuel to a passion that's within me. And I think, honestly, the reason this is a big deal is because what lust does is it dehumanizes and it objectifies and it devalues that which is created in God's image. I think that's what the big deal is. I think that's why, if you look back at our definition, that lust has misused sexual desire because it dishonors. It dishonors and it objectifies other people and it disregards God in his design and what he's created for us. Listen, I just want you to think about this. For those of us who follow Jesus, for those of us, and I know that's not everyone in this room, but for those of us who follow Christ, what is the greatest ethic of Jesus in his kingdom? What is his greatest ethic? And we know this because he told us. His greatest ethic is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says, and the second is like it, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. Love others, love God and love others. And I think that part of what it means to love people, according to Jesus, is it means that we treat everyone with value. It means that we treat them with dignity and respect. It means that we seek to protect others and honor others even above our own interests. That's what it means. I think what lust does is lust tears all that apart. Lust devalues that which God has created and it's a destructive force in our lives. And I'll tell you what I think reinforces this even further. I, I actually never noticed this until I was studying this this past week and I thought this was really interesting. Do you notice in verse 28, you guys have verse 28 in front of you, do you notice which gender specifically Jesus is addressing when he gives this command? Do you notice? Who is it that he's specifically talking to? Do you see this? He's talking to men. So, so look again, he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart, his heart. Now, this is really fascinating to me. Notice that Jesus gives this directive to men. Now, commentators will point out, if you look back at the very beginning of chapter five, that Jesus is actually talking to an entire crowd of people. He's talking to a whole crowd. And commentators would say that includes men and women and most likely children. They probably all would have been there. So why does Jesus give this, this directive specifically to men? Is it because Jesus believes that women don't struggle with unhealthy sexual desires? Is that what Jesus is saying here? And I think the answer is, of course not. Jesus is not that naive. He's not that ignorant. So why? Why would he give this address to men? So there's actually a bunch of theories around this, but can I tell you, I, I heard something this past week I thought was so profound, and I totally agree with it. Uh, this comes from uh, Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project. That this was so cool. Let me just quote to you what he said. That this was very profound. He said this. In the history of the human race, which gender has turned sexual desire into a tool of violence, subjugation, and oppression of the other gender? And then he says, do we even need to take a vote on that? Then he goes on, he says this. Jesus, in this teaching, is not just teaching individual morality. He's launching a kingdom. He's launching his kingdom. And he's inaugurating a new humanity. And so he challenges the men who live within this kingdom that if we really want to follow Jesus, that we need to allow him to work on this area of our heart so that this place, this world, is a safe place for women. And I think what he said here is spot on. And I love, I love what he's talking about because if that's what Jesus is doing when he addresses men, I believe the implications of this are huge because I think this is what it means. I think he's saying, listen, Christian men, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room and you're a man, and I know that's not obviously everyone who's a follower of Christ, but if you're a man, I think what Jesus is teaching us here is he's saying that, listen, as brothers, 
in this family of God's kingdom, we have a responsibility, Christian men, to our sisters. And we have a responsibility to value them, to protect them, and to not objectify or dehumanize them or devalue their bodies. I think he's putting that onus on us for those of us who are Christian men in this room. And can I just say to you, sisters in Christ, for those who are women who follow Jesus, I think in the spirit of this text, in the spirit of what he's saying, I think what he's saying is as followers of Jesus, as sisters, you have a responsibility to your brothers. And you have a responsibility to not flaunt your body or to flaunt your sexuality in a way that intentionally causes your brothers to stumble or promotes insecurity or sadness in your sisters. I think that's what he's saying. And listen, I know that whenever we talk about that, whenever we talk about issues of modesty, of women dressing a certain way, and whenever we talk about lust, about men looking a certain way, I know that there's a whole bunch of question marks and there's a whole lot of gray. And so some of you might be saying, how do I know when I'm being immodest and how do I know when that dude's just being creepy? And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it's not that clear. And, I, and here's the point, I can't answer that for you, but I think, I think the point is this, is that for those of us who follow Jesus, we have a responsibility to each other. We have a responsibility as a family, brothers to sisters and sisters to brothers, and we need to protect each other and we need to honor each other because God has created us to be in this kingdom and to be in this family together. And listen, I think here's the point too. I think all of us know this, that today we live in a society where Jesus' teaching on lust is more acute than it ever has been. That possibly today in our society, maybe even more than any other society in the history of the world, we live in an over-sexualized time. Jesus' teaching is so relevant to us today because we have seen the over-sexualization in everything from entertainment to advertising into novels and romance novels, sex sells. It, you don't even have to look for it. It's just gonna come to you in one way or another. I think this speaks to so many issues, but for sure, I think, um, I think this is probably an appropriate time for me to bring up what's probably already crossed many of your minds. One of the most relevant topics that Jesus' teaching speaks directly into, into our time today, into our day and age, that's the issue of pornography. I think Jesus' teaching speaks directly, directly to what we are watching in our society in an unprecedented way with the internet and with online stuff of how pornography has just had a staggering impact on our society. I think all of us know this, that, that we live in a very bizarre time where the access to pornography and the pornification of society is just, it's just off the charts. But I'll tell you, I don't know if you realize how high and how big of a deal this really is. Um, let me, just to give you some sense of scale, let me ask you guys a question. How many of you this past week on the internet, some of you are like, where are you, where are you going with this man? Not, not there, all right? So let me rephrase it. How many of you this past week went to amazon.com for any reason whatsoever, to buy or to look or to shop? Okay, good. How many of you this past week were on Twitter for any reason at all? You're on Twitter, okay, good. How many of you this past week watched a show on Netflix, watched anything on Netflix, documentary show? Okay, good. I think that probably represents about 100% of us in the room. All right, so get this. This is absolutely staggering to me. There was a study that was done a few years ago and it was released by the Huffington Post. They said that online porn sites get more visits each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Combined. Do you know, according to stats today, the porn industry in our country takes in more money than the MLB, the NBA, and the NFL combined. 
It's a massive industry in our country. Did you know that 30% of internet traffic is pornography related? Did you know that? And according to a study that was done by Mark Regnerius, who's a professor at the University of Texas, he points out that 86% of young men between 18 and 23 have admitted to interacting with porn at least once a month. That number is 31% of women. Now, here's what's interesting is all of these stats, by the way, were pre-pandemic. And so there's been another slate of stats that have come out that have talked about how the pandemic has only increased the use of online porn that we've seen. And here's the point, is it's a big deal. It's a very big deal. And it's hurting us. Porn hurts. Porn is hurting hurting us in so many ways. And and we're just now starting to catch up on exactly those effects that it's having on us. I wish I had time to get into all the stats that are out there right now. Uh, I would encourage you, if you get a chance to read some of this stuff, it's crazy. It's crazy. But it's going to show us, for example, porn hurts. It hurts in our society. Sociologists, psychologists, and neurologists, and I'm not even talking about Christian thinkers. They're, they're pointing out how, how all, uh, they're all beginning to catch up on, on the effects that porn is having, the pornification of society is having on our society. And, uh, and that's, even if you're someone who's not directly involved in porn, the trickle effect of how it's impacting every other industry is just, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. And so things like insecurity and things like anxiety and things like depression, not even to mention things like the sex trade industry and how all that is being promoted through this, it's hurting society, it's hurting our kids. Do you know, according to every stat that I read, uh, what the age of first-time exposure to hardcore porn is in our society today? It's 11, 11 years old. And I think, um, I think by the way, without any judgment, that probably speaks to parents about giving our kids things like phones and tablets without any filtration, without any parameters around that. In many ways, I think it's like giving our kids loaded guns. Something we gotta be thinking about. Um, It's hurting our marriages. I thought this was nuts. So there's actually a group called the American Academy of Matrimony Lawyers. That's a real thing. And there's uh, 1,600 of the top divorce lawyers around our country comprise this group, and they they released a statistic last year, and they said that uh, 56% of divorce cases today involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornography. 10 years ago, that number was zero, and now 56% is what they would say. It's impacting marriages, and of course, it's impacting our minds and our hearts. There's a study that I read this past week called What Porn Does to Your Brain and How to Quit, and they showed brain scans, what neurology is catching up on. And they said, here's your, here's your brain. This is a normal brain scan. Here's your brain on heroin. And then this is your brain, this is your brain when, you're, when, you're, when you're entrenched in pornography. And they talked about just the effects, the addictive effects that this has on us. And listen, let me just tell you, this is not a sermon on pornography. This is a sermon on lust. But I think all of this is, is, is telling us that what Jesus teaches on this topic is deeply relevant to the air that we breathe. I think what this also is telling us is that what Jesus is saying is very true. See, because Jesus loves us, and because he loves us, he hates everything that hurts us. And the reason that Jesus is so big about going against lust is because he knows it has such a damaging effect on so many of us. And so what does Jesus say then? In light of all of this, what is Jesus' advice? What do we do with lust? What do we do with it in a society like we have? So Jesus is gonna give us some very practical advice. You guys ready for it? Here's what Jesus says. He says, so lust is a problem, right? Yeah, it's a problem. What should we do, Jesus? Okay, very practical. Here's what he says. So if your right eye causes you to stumble, just gouge it out. 
and just throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. So there's Jesus' practical advice. You struggle with lust, cut off your eye. Just gouge it out, right? And some of you are like, wow, that's extreme. Okay, well, if that's not extreme enough, look what he says next. He says, well, if it's your hand that's the problem, then you just go ahead and cut that off. Just lob your hand off and throw it away because it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, at this point, some of you, maybe if you're new to the Bible, you might be reminded why you don't read the Bible, right? You might be like, that's why I don't read the Bible. What is Jesus talking about here? Because that's extreme, what he's saying here. Now, let me just kind of help us clear this up a little. Jesus is not talking literally here. If he was talking literal, none of us would have eyes and none of us would have hands. We would just be walking around bumping into each other, right? That's all we'd be doing. And um, just to reinforce that Jesus is not speaking literally here, not to be too crass, but if Jesus meant us to take him literal, isn't there a body part that he's forgetting? (laughs) I mean, isn't just like, you get what I'm saying, right? So he's speaking, Jesus is speaking hyperbolically, right? This is hyperbole. And I think what Jesus is saying is, he's saying because he knows that lust is a big deal, And because he knows that the effects of lust can bring hell on earth and can bring hell into our lives, I think because of that, what Jesus is saying is we need to deal drastically with this. We should deal drastically. We should go to great lengths to maim ourselves, to radically amputate that which causes us to to stumble and to to get it out of our lives, to cut it out of our lives. So some of you are like, well, what, what might that look like? Well, I think a good example would be something like this. Maybe for some of us, what that means is that we need to amputate or we need to maim or limit our access that we have to things like the internet. Maybe for you it means that you need to have restricted um, internet filters on your phone. Maybe it means that you need to invest in some kind of parental software that's gonna limit things that you see. Maybe for some of you it means this. Maybe it means you need to cut out your smartphone altogether. Maybe you need to get a dumb phone. Maybe you do. I think maybe for some of us what that means is it means that there are certain relationships that we need to cut out of our life. Maybe there's certain names in our phone, contexts that we need to block because we know that those relationships just open up avenues of sexual temptation and lead us into places that are not something that would glorify God. We know that. Maybe for some of us, it means that we need to make a decision to cut out of our life certain types of entertainment, that we won't watch movies that contain that content. We won't, re- we won't watch shows as popular as they are and as much as people rave about them, we're not gonna watch them because we know they contain a certain amount of content. We're not gonna read those kind of novels because of where it takes us in our imagination, romantically and sexually, and we're gonna cut those things off. Maybe for some of you it means this. It means that in your dating relationship or if you're engaged and you're not married, maybe it is a deliberate decision on your part to inconvenience yourself so that you're alone less with that person. Being with other people, and and I'm telling you, these decisions are gonna maim you. They're gonna be inconvenient for you. They might even put you in awkward situations, but I think Jesus' point is, how, how, how dramatic are you willing to be? How far are you willing to go to limit and to cut off access to those things? So I'll just get real practical with you here. I'll just give you one example, one personal example. So I am a uh, 40-year-old, so I'm a middle-aged man. I got four kids. And I, to this day, do not have unfiltered access to the internet. I just don't. 
So every device that I have in my house, our computers, our laptops, our tablets, my phone, it's all password protected. It's all filtered. I can't download apps on my phone. I can't uh, access the internet in an unfiltered way. My wife has all of the passwords. And I'll be honest, it puts me in some embarrassing situations. People are like, did you download this app? And I'm like, I can't. And they're like, why not? My wife's not here, you know? <laughs> She's got the password. And some of you are like, why would you do that? Why would you go to that extreme? And can I tell you why? It's because of what Jesus says. It's because of what Jesus says. And some of you are like, well, that's a nice thing that you're doing for your kids. That's smart. It's not just for my kids. It's for me. I don't trust myself with this stuff. Listen, some of you maybe are in a different place, but part of my story is the first time that I was exposed to pornography, I was six years old. And that, that began down a path that led into habits and ultimately into a lifestyle of sexual brokenness for me. And then when I came to know Jesus, I came to know Christ when I was about 17 years old. This was one of the first areas that God began to convict in my heart and began to transform me. And I'll tell you, Jesus has brought healing into my life, but that healing is continuing to this day. And I don't know if there'll ever be a day that I trust myself without those things, without those filters on it. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Will you go to drastic measures? How far will you go to be able to, to, be able to find purity and to be able to combat lust that you have in your life? So, how we doing? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> now listen, I, I understand uh, a conversation like this one and a topic like this is so relevant that without a doubt, there's probably some of you right now who are just, who just honestly, you just feel so bad. Maybe for you, you just feel bad about, you feel horrible about yourself. Maybe like me, you have sexual regret. There's sexual brokenness in your past. And maybe for you, you feel the weight of that. Maybe for you, you're a person in this room who when you think about your past and you think about where you've been and maybe even when you think about where you are right now, you recognize that this is an area that Jesus is getting your attention in. Maybe for some of you, maybe even for some of you, even right now, you are trapped in lust. Maybe there's some of you who are trapped in relationships that you've never told anyone about. Maybe for you, there's, a, there's an addiction to porn that you have. And quite honestly, you're here today and you feel hopeless about it. You've tried, you've tried, you've tried. And it seems like every single time there's no hope within it. But can I tell you this? And this is where we get to the good news. I believe that Jesus, if you're in that situation, if you have regret in your past, if you have brokenness in your past, if you're trapped in a sexual habit right now, can I tell you, I believe that Jesus brought you here today to tell you that with him, the story is never over. And there is hope for you. There is hope. And that he brought you here because Jesus brings hope and Jesus brings healing. And so as I invite the band to come up and as we, we're gonna continue talking about this next week, can I just point you to three places, specific places that I believe where you will find healing and where you will find help from Jesus himself. Can I point you to three places? And here they are. First one would be this. I would point everyone to this. First off, turn to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. If you have never embraced Christ, if you have never opened your heart to him, I would encourage you to start here. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus in your brokenness and ask for forgiveness. Listen, we've talked about this. The, the point of the Sermon on the Mount is not that if you do these things perfectly, then you're gonna be made right with God. That's not it. The point of the Sermon on the Mount is that all of us have fallen short and we desperately need a savior. That's the whole point. 
And the truth is, none of us can fulfill Jesus's commandments. Only Jesus has fulfilled the law. And Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves, and then to die in our place, to offer us the forgiveness of sins, and then through the power of the Holy Spirit to give us a new heart. And that's what he wants to do. The truth is, you can try to cut lust out of your life as much as you can, but if you don't have Jesus who's gonna give you a new heart, all you're gonna be doing is mowing weeds. It takes a transformation that happens on the deepest level, and that comes through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ that is available to you today. It's waiting for you today. Just open your life to him. Surrender to Jesus. It starts there. Here's the second thing. Confess to others and find healing. Some of you need to hear this. Jesus came to give forgiveness, and he does. He forgives. But Jesus has also given us the means to which we can find healing. And part of how we find healing is in each other. It's in community. James chapter five says it this way. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be, get this, healed. In other words, what the Bible is saying is there is healing that God has for you that maybe isn't being accessed because because there's a lack of confession. And so I would encourage you, maybe for you, you're someone who needs to hear this. Maybe you need to talk to someone. You need to confess to somebody. And some of you are like, well, who do I confess to? I would encourage you this way, confess to someone who loves you and loves Jesus. Maybe that's a life group leader. Maybe it's someone in your group. Maybe it's a friend that you came with. But talk to them. Say, hey, I have been struggling with something and I have been keeping it to myself. I've been fighting it alone and you were not intended to fight it alone. Talk to them. Seek accountability. Seek help in it. Ask for prayer as you struggle through these things. I can just tell you personally that it's been such a monumental aspect to finding freedom. And then lastly, I would say this. Cut out that which causes you to stumble and find freedom. And I don't know what that is. Maybe for you, you need to take some precautions in the internet. Maybe for you, you need to cut out relationships. I'm not sure what that looks like, but I would encourage you to take Jesus's word seriously, to actually take steps to proactively distance these things from your life. Can I give, in fact, can I just end by giving one very, very practical step, very practical challenge to anyone in this room who is struggling specifically with pornography? Listen, I just wanna say this because I know with the stats that we just looked at, it would be naive for me to think that there aren't many people in this room who are maybe trapped in that right now. And maybe you feel hopeless and maybe you feel like you can't talk to anyone about it. So can I just give you a very practical challenge? I would challenge you to turn to Jesus. I would challenge you to talk to somebody. And then here's the very practical challenge. I would challenge you. I would give you a 90-day challenge. I thought this was so cool, and I thought this absolutely reinforced what Jesus says. I told you about that article that I was reading with the brain scans. That article was called What Porn Does to Your Brain and How to Quit. And in that article, what it said was this, is it said that porn has this addictive quality to it, and it has a way of messing with your mind. It messes with the way that you think and the way that you view other people. But here's what it said, and I thought, man, this just reaffirms what Jesus said. It said that if you can go 90 days, as little as 90 days, distancing yourself from porn and the habits that it brings, that your brain will begin to become healed, that you can return back. Your, your, your brain will come to a place where it can begin to be healed and return back into the spot that it was before. And I thought that is so validating of what Jesus said. So my practical challenge to you would be to find somebody, turn to Jesus, find somebody, confess, and say, I wanna go on a 90-day challenge. And I need accountability and I need prayer and talk and pray through that because I believe that there's healing that God wants for you. And I want that for you. I want that for you too. Bottom line is this, Jesus loves you. He loves us. 
And because he loves us, he hates everything that hurts us. And so he offers us life and life to the fullest. Now let's pray. Well, Jesus, as we talk about these topics, these conversations of these topics that are so personal, so close to home, uh, God, we just need your help. And I do wanna pray specifically, Father, just for all of us who are here today, who are engaging in this message. Father, I pray that we'd see just your love for us, that you care about us, and that because you care about us, that you, that you uh, take very seriously the things that harm and that hurt us. And so God, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough that you're even willing to talk about some of the deepest, most intimate and personal things. So God, I pray that even in these next moments as we worship you and as we sing together, would you give us the wisdom to know how to respond to these things? And then would you give us, Lord, I pray it right now, the courage to do it. And Lord, I know that there's uh, many of us in this room who feel discouraged because of the culture that we live in, but thank you that you have overcome the world, that we serve a king who's overcome the world. And so we cry out to you, we worship you, we praise you, and we do it all in Jesus' name, amen.